Joshua 6, 4, that there is a river um, that flows, the streams thereof, uh, that will make glad the city of God. Man, I am so thankful this evening that all who thirst, uh, Jesus said, blessed are they who thirst. And if you're thirsty for what God has for you, you can receive from the river. Man, what a powerful, powerful song that is. Thank you so much for that. Take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn with me back to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 4. And we're going to try and continue where we left off last week. I think we got through verse number 6 last Wednesday night. And tonight we'll start with verse number 7 and go through uh, verse number 11. I hope and pray that everyone's had a great week. It's good to see you back tonight. I'm so thankful that you've made the decision to come be a part of our Wednesday night Bible study. I don't know about you, but I'm loving this fall time weather in the middle of June. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with some beautiful uh, weather this week, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I was thinking today of the verse where it says, um, this is the day the Lord has made, and we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Man, if you've been outside today, you know this is certainly the day the Lord has made, and uh, we can rejoice in Him. Now, last time when we were together, we talked about in these first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, on winning the war with sin. Now, how many of you understand that each and every one of us battles sin daily? All of us do. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you uh, have been saved five minutes or 50 years, if you're sitting in a pew or you're standing in a pulpit, we all battle sin. And as long as we are living in a fallen creation in this sinful flesh, we're going to battle sin. And we said last week that, uh, folks, first of all, sin dominates. And I've heard it said, and you probably have too, sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you ever want to pay, and that's the truth. You may think that you have control of those little pet sins in your life, but I can promise you, you don't. You don't play with sin. It's as dangerous to, really more dangerous to play with sin than it is to negotiate with a grizzly, grizzly bear. I heard a story one time about a hunter that had went all the way out to uh, Colorado and he was going through the mountains hunting and, uh, and uh, it was in the middle of the winter time and he walked around this um, a, a real sharp curve, sharp turn there on the path that he was in through the mountains and when he walked around that curve, the first thing he saw coming headlong at him was a grizzly bear. And he drew his rifle up real fast and pointed at the grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear stopped all of a sudden and said, Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Hunter, please don't shoot me. I, I promise you, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm just out looking for my morning breakfast. And I'll let you be if you'll let me be. Let's talk about this. Let's negotiate uh, just a moment. And after the negotiation was done, uh, the hunter had a new fur coat and the bear had a, had a full stomach. And so, folks, it is, it is very, very dangerous to negotiate with a grizzly bear, but I can promise you it's even more dangerous when you start playing with sin. Sin will dominate your life. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to pay. It dominates, but we said it also dissipates. Sin causes us to waste the opportunity and the privilege we have as the children of God to go out and make a difference in a lost and dying world. Sin causes us to waste, uh, listen, uh, the, the uh, doors that God opens for us. And I can say this for myself. I don't know about you, but I look back over my life and I look at the wasted opportunities. And it makes me sick um, of all the years I wasted doing my own thing, going my own way. And I just wonder what God could have done with me if I would have allowed him to work on me, work in me, and work through me. Uh, and follow him wholeheartedly. I am very thankful tonight that God is a God of restoration. Can you say amen? 
And the Bible says what uh, Satan has stolen, God is able to give back. But nonetheless, we need to understand sin dissipates. It will cause us to waste the opportunity and the privilege we have of living for the Lord and making a difference in this world. But sin also destroys. And if there's one thing uh, the enemy Satan wants to do, he wants to destroy your life. Jesus said it like this, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the way he destroys us is through the temptation of the fleshly nature we have uh, with the things of this world, the sinful things that are unpleasing unto God. And folks, I want to tell you something. When uh, you've heard it said that we fall into temptation, how many of you know nobody falls into temptation? You have control over your actions. As a believer, you have the freedom to live for God. You have the power over sin so that you might be pleasing to the Lord in your, in your day-to-day life. So we don't fall into temptation. It's not an accident. We jump into temptation. And so we got to guard ourselves and uh, we wage war daily. We battle daily against sin. But I am thankful tonight that for the believer we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans 8.37, I'm reading the Romans chapter 8 every day this week. I encourage you to come and, and read it with me. I'm reading it devotionally. And so um, every day I just read through the book of Romans, or the chapter of Roma, or Romans chapter number 8. And man, it's been such a blessing to my heart and life, and I know it will be to yours as well. But in Romans 8.37, the Bible tells us plainly that we are more than conquerors. We have victory in Jesus. If you believe that tonight, say amen. Folks, I'm telling you, we battle sin daily, but ultimately the victory over sin has already been won. Jesus defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave through his finished work. And so we as believers who've placed our trust in Christ, who are in Christ and Christ is in us, we may battle sin daily, but ultimately we have already been given victory. And I'm thankful for that. We are more than conquerors. We can rest in him. We can trust in him. We can overcome through him. Now tonight, I want to go just a step further, and I want to talk about getting serious about our sainthood. Getting serious about our sainthood. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse number 7. I'm going to read through verse number 11. We're going to come back and look at five main things that Peter tells us we need to get serious about. Listen to what he says. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. I love that verse. Let me read it to you again. As every, one, every man hath received the gift. How I many know all of us have been gifted in some way? You have a gift that was given to you by the person of the Holy Spirit. I have a gift given to me by the person of the Holy Spirit. And I am to use my gift, and you are to use your gift uh, to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Then he says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Look what he says in verse 11. This is powerful stuff. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister or serve, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified. Let me tell you why we serve. Why we preach, why we pray, why we sing, why we teach, why we do what we do for the kingdom of God, so that Jesus might be glorified. How many of you know it's not about me? And folks, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus, we're in this for the wrong reason. 
I'll go as far as to say this. I am thankful for our church. I love our church. I'm excited to see what God has done, what he is doing. I'm looking forward in faith to what he's going to do in this body of believers. I'm proud to be a part of Mount Zion Baptist Church. But let me say something. It's not about Mount Zion Baptist Church. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about glorifying Jesus in all we do. And so he says, when we serve, let's serve so that Jesus might get the glory. I love that. That is so powerful. Then he says, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. I'm so thankful to you. Allow us to serve. You give us the privilege of serving and being a part of what you're doing. Lord, I can do nothing and I want to do nothing without you leading, guiding, and directing in every way. And I'm asking, Lord, tonight that you would be glorified in everything that takes place in these services. In every class that's being taught tonight, may you be glorified. With every teacher and every student, would you speak to the teacher, speak through the teacher, and use them for your honor and your glory to help people that's listening to them. Lord, I want this to be a help and not a hindrance. And the only way that's possible is through your power working on me, working in me, and working through me. So move me out of the way and use me tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' mighty name and for your sake. Amen. Getting serious about sainthood. He says in verse number 7 that we ought to be sober. Now what does it mean when he says we ought to be sober? That word sober there can be translated of a sound mind. And getting serious. Amen. So really what uh, Peter, I think Peter is saying there, we need to get our mind right so that we might start acting right. I mean, no, you ain't never going to act right if you don't get your mind right. And, and so you got to have a sound mind. You got to be sober. You got to be thinking uh, godly so that you might th there uh, by live godly. As the, the scripture says in the book of Proverbs 23 and verse number 17, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what you think like is what you're going to be like. And so I think when he says be sober, he's saying to think right so that we might be right, so that we can get serious about what we've been saved to be and so that we might do what God has told us to do. And it's time that we get serious. And he gives us the reason. Look what he says there in verse number 7. The end of all things is at hand. How many of you believe tonight that Jesus is coming again? See, I think we only have a limited amount of time to serve him. We only have a limited amount of time to do what Jesus has told us to do. We only have a certain amount of time to preach the gospel across the street and around the world. There's a sense of urgency here that Peter is writing with to those early believers and to us. He says the time is at hand. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, um, the end of all things is coming. And so we only have a certain amount of time to make a real impact for the kingdom of God. And, and so he tells us, get sober, get serious, get your mind right, and then start acting right as believers so that you might fulfill the purpose for which you've been saved. You are the saints of God. How many of y'all know that? 
I know that a lot of times when we think about saints, we think about uh, the super Christians, like, uh, I don't know, maybe Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, or if you're, we're talking about the Catholic Church, they talk about the canonized saints, these great men and women of God throughout the history. Folks, I want to tell you something. Everybody that's been born again into the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus, you are the saints of God. And let me tell you why I say that. Because the word saint means holy one. Holy one that has been set apart for God's purpose. Now I want you to keep your place there in 1 Peter chapter 4 and flip back with me two chapters to 1 Peter chapter 2. You remember when we studied this verse. We spent about two weeks on this one verse. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. And we still didn't get all the good out of it, I promise you. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen generation. If you believe it, say amen. God has chosen you for a reason, a royal priesthood. If you believe it, say amen. Do you know that you went from being a pauper to being a prince and a princess in God's family? When you were born again by grace through faith, listen, you were given the spirit of adoption and now you are considered the sons and daughters of Almighty God. You are royalty. I love that. And he goes on and says this, watch. A peculiar people, a holy nation. Now, he says that we are a holy nation. He says that we are a peculiar people. The word peculiar means set apart. Now, the definition of saint, if you remember, is that which is holy and set apart for God. So by definition, if we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, when he says we're a holy nation, we're a peculiar people, a people set apart for God's purpose, folks, listen to me. He's telling us right here, we are the saints of God over and over and over and over again. Paul uses that word saint. You are the saints of God if you've been born again into God's family. You've been saved for a purpose. You've been called with a holy calling. You've been called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus. Look how he puts it right here. He hath called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past you are not a people, but now you are the people of God, which, have not which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. I love that. And so we need to get serious about what God has saved us to be and called us to do. And so Peter says, be sober. Get your mind right. Get serious so you can act right. <laughs> and he tells us five things we need to do to do that. I love that the Word of God never gives us a command unless it tells us how to fulfill that command. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse number 7, the first thing he says is get serious about your prayer life. Now folks, if there's one thing we must be, it's a praying people. For a praying people is a powerful people. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying church is a growing church. A praying church is a serving church. If there's one thing we need to be at Mount Zion Baptist Church, it's a praying church. Prayer is powerful. Prayer certainly does change things. We can do much for God after we have prayed, but I'm telling you, we can do very little for God effectively until we have prayed. Prayer is essential in your individual walk with Christ, in your individual lives. And prayer is essential for the work that God does collectively in the body of Christ. 
We must be people of prayer. E.M. Bounds is one of my favorite writers when it comes to prayer. He wrote seven books on prayer. One of the books that he wrote is Power Through Prayer. If you've never read it or you don't have it, I would recommend that book if you want to be serious about your prayer life. But E.M. Bounds said this in, uh, in, in the uh, Power Through Prayer book that he wrote. He says, talking to men for God is a great thing. Would you agree with that? Talking to men for God is really what our main objective, the main thing is for the child of God. You know that. Do you remember the Great Commission? Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said the main thing is to talk to men for God. And we certainly should be doing that. I agree with this brother right here. Talking to men for God, that's a great thing. But listen to what he says. I like this part. But talking to God for men is greater still. Why? He explains himself. He will never talk well and with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. You know what he's saying? We'll never be an effective witness. We'll never fulfill the Great Commission. We will never do great things for God until we become serious about our prayer life. Because prayer unleashes the power of God on your situation, whatever that might be. And so, folks, I say to you tonight, we need to be driven in our prayer life because prayer works. Chuck Swindoll said something about the life of the Lord Jesus. Do y'all know Chuck Swindoll? One of my favorite preachers. That brother right there can shell the corn. I'm telling you, if you ever get a chance, spend some time listening to Chuck Swindoll. I love him. But he said something about the life of Jesus. He said, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John through the Gospels, and you're going to find that everywhere Jesus went, when he went to a new place, he didn't find the synagogue, he found the mountaintop. Why? Because it was in the mountaintop that he spent time alone in prayer with his heavenly father. And after he had spent time on the mountaintop, then he could go down and minister in the synagogue. Then he could go down and be what he was sent to be. <laughs> Amen? The savior of the world. It was amazing how prayer impacted the life of Christ. You know, if Jesus needed to pray, don't we need to pray? If Jesus was serious about prayer, shouldn't we be serious about prayer? Absolutely. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1 is one of my favorite verses on prayer. Brother, could you put that on the screen for me, please? Luke 11 and 1. The disciples, after having heard Jesus pray, one of them spoke to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Watch this. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now I want you to get the picture. Jesus was the greatest preacher who's ever lived. And remember now, these men had heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Jesus was able to heal blinded eyes and deaf ears and cast out demons and raise up dead people and walk on water and do all kinds of miraculous things. But when his disciples asked him to teach them to do something, he didn't, they didn't ask Jesus to teach them to preach, did they? They didn't ask Jesus to teach them to do miracles, did they? And all of that's great stuff, powerful stuff. 
But what they did ask was that Jesus teach them to pray. Let me tell you why I believe they said that. Because they realized it was through the prayer life of Jesus, he was enabled by the power of God to do all that other stuff he's doing. And so they said, Lord, we want to get to the source of this, and the source is your connection with the Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you pray. Folks, Jesus was driven in his prayer life. We ought to be driven in our prayer life. I'm talking about day by day, spending time in prayer. We're to be disciplined in our prayer life. Can you say amen? That's another thing we need to get a hold of. Let me give you a quote from uh, Billy Graham on prayer. Billy Graham said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance to give us what we want, but realizing God's willingness to give us what we need. Y'all must have missed that, so I'm going to read it again. Listen, this is good stuff. This helped me. I got some help from this. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance to give us what we want, but realizing God's willingness to give us what we need. <laughs> Do you believe that God knows you better than you know you? I believe God knows me better than, we, than, than, than I know me. He knows what I need when I don't even know what I need. He knows what you need when you only know what you need. He knows what we need. And so, Brother Billy Graham right here is saying, God is willing to give us what we need. Do you believe that? Matter of fact, he's promised to give us what we need. Every step of the way. But James 4 and 2 says, we have not because we ask not. Why don't we ask? Because we're not disciplined in prayer. we got to get disciplined in our prayer life. Why have I, why did years ago, I don't know how many years we've been doing it now, but we've seen some fruit from it. Years ago, we started praying every day at 9 o'clock for Mount Zion Baptist Church. Y'all remember that? You know, when we started that, we was about, we was running about what? 35, 40 maybe on Sundays? You know, that's tripled since we started doing that. Let me tell you Why? Because we started asking and believing God, we got disciplined in our prayer life. And we need to keep doing that. Now, you say, now you say well, brothers, does that mean I can only pray at 9 o'clock? Absolutely not. You better be praying all the time. You need to be praying all the time. I'm just trying to teach you, and I'm trying to teach myself to get disciplined every day that, hey, at 9 o'clock, we definitely going to pray. So we need to be disciplined and driven in our prayer life. Let me give you another one. We need to be directed in our prayer life. Now, how do we get direction in our prayer life? Two ways. Prayer requests from people and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? How are you going to know how to pray for me? How y'all think? How y'all going to know how to pray for me? Well, that's... That's good. That's, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But how are you going to know without the shadow of any doubt what I need? When I ask you, well, what do you think we have these services where we, at the end of the service tonight or pretty much at the end of every service or in every service or in every class, why do we have time for prayer requests? Because I want to let my brothers and sisters in Christ know what I stand in need of. You know, let me tell you why? Because I believe in the power of prayer. 
And so if I ask you to pray for me, I'm not asking this to fill um, a, a, a moment of time between different sections of the service. When I ask you to pray for me, I mean, I really need it. And I believe God can answer it. I believe God hears you when you pray. You say, brother, why do you believe that? I believe that because God's word says it. 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. And so one way we know how, how we're directed to pray, we're directed to pray through prayer requests. If you've got needs, it's my privilege to pray for you. Let me know, man. We'll pray about it. We'll get on our face before the Lord and we'll talk to him about it because he's able. I might not be able, you might not be able, but he is. He is. I believe he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we can ask or think. No matter what's going on. So we are directing our prayer life through prayer requests. Let me give you another one. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Have you ever just got up with somebody on your mind? This happens to me all the time. I wake up in the morning, somebody just be on my mind, on my heart, and, I, and it's just like it won't leave me throughout the day. And, and, and folks, I'm going to tell you something. If someone is continually on your mind, it's, there's probably a reason that they're there. Especially as a child of God. That's God the Holy Spirit, I believe, giving you direction on who to pray for. Now, brother, that's where it comes in. I may not know what that person needs, but if God is leading me to pray for him, I'm going to pray for him. I had a man call me just two weeks ago. He, 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 uh, it was like 5.30 in the morning. One of my teachers from the Bible Institute. I ain't saw him now in, God, it's been almost four years, I guess. He called me up 5.30 in the morning and said, Brother Israel, I don't know what's going on with you, brother. I just know God put, me on, put you on my heart and I'm praying for you today. I cannot tell you how that encouraged me. To know a man of God like Brother Kevin Merritt was praying for me? My goodness. I was excited the rest of the day. I, I just knew something good was going to happen. It's amazing. So we need to be driven, disciplined. We need to be directed. As God directs you, spend some time in prayer. Prayer works. Don't it just crank you? I mean, it cranks my tractor, folks, when I start praying about stuff and I see God start moving. I preached revival at Barnes when I told them this story Monday night. I'm going to tell you. Maybe I already have. I don't know. but That's all right. I ain't got tired of telling it yet. When you get tired of listening to it, just bear with me. <laughs> I just like to brag on the Lord. Let me tell you what happened to me. Last, last year, last July, y'all know we went to Cuba on a mission trip. And, and I've got three people in my family that went to Cuba on a mission trip. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm a, bliss, I'm a blessed man. I truly am. I'm thankful for everything I've got. But I'm not a rich man. And it cost our family almost $3,500 when it was all said and done to get to Cuba. And I'm going to tell you something. I just don't got $3,500 laying around. So that took a lot of saving and, and, and scraping from here and there to get all that together to get, it, to, 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 get to Cuba. And, and, and i never forget, man, we went down there and the Lord provided everything, got us down there and got us back. But when we got back, money was thin around the house. I mean, real thin. So we get back on a Saturday 
And then on Monday, I go outside and start mowing my grass. Because we hadn't had the grass mowed in a week and a half. We've been going to Cuba. And so I'm out there mowing the grass, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of mowing, about halfway through, my lawnmower locks slam up. Just stops, right in the middle of the yard. I thought I was out of gas, went and put gas in it, still wouldn't crank, wouldn't even turn over. Motor wouldn't move. The motor had locked up right there on me in the middle of the yard. And I'm going to be honest with you, I got mad at God right then. I, I just told the Lord how I felt. You know, I think it's good to get real with God. I look in, I look in the book of Psalms, and David got real with God. If David was angry, he told the Lord he was angry. If David was hurting, he told the Lord he was hurting. If David was discouraged, he, just, he was just real with the Lord. And so right there on my lawnmower, right there that day when I couldn't get that sucker started, and I figured out what was going on, I said, Lord, I've read in your word where you said you did not let the children of, the children of Israel's shoes wear out as they went through the wilderness. Now, if you won't let their shoes wear out, why would you let my lawnmower wear out? I mean, that's how I felt. And I started telling him, I ain't got money to buy another lawnmower, so what am I going to do? I went in and told Brandy. Brandy said, we just got to trust the Lord. And so I, we got down and prayed. We trusted the Lord. And Lord, you've got to make a way here. Do something for us. She said, brother, is that really that big a deal? Well, it may not be that big a deal to you, but it was to me. And my Heavenly Father cares what is a big deal to me. And so we let it go with that. Let the yard grow. It's all we could do. Friday night. That, that next Friday night. After that Monday. We come down to the church. And when we get here, we're doing the free clothes giveaway. You remember the free yard sale we had where everybody brought all their clothes from the closets? We had a mountain of clothes down there. And, and so all of our youth was here. All of the parents of youth was here. And we was separating all them clothes. And uh, sitting there eating, just enjoying fellowship together, having a good time. And uh, Brother Ben Harris walked up and sat down at the same table I was at. We're sitting there talking, not about really nothing. He looks over at me all of a sudden. He said, man, guess what I've done today? I said, what's that? He said, I went and bought me one of them zero-turn lawnmowers. I said, you did? He said, yeah. I said, we got talking about that. And I told him how I like my dad's and I ran one. He's going to love it. And, and we just got talking a little bit more about that. And it went on a little further. And he said, you don't know about needs a lawnmower, do you? And I said, well, maybe. And so he said, he said, I got a great lawnmower. He said, I didn't need that other one, but I wanted it, something I've always wanted. He said, man, I got a good lawnmower at the house. It ain't that old. Runs good. He said, if you know about needs one, let me know. I said, well, how much are you asking for? He said, well, who's needing it? I said, I'm needing it. He said, brother, you don't owe me nothing. I'm going to give it to you. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Brother, did I tell you I had a lawnmower down in the yard? So what am I saying? God knew what I needed. And he was willing to give me what I needed when I got ready to ask him. We have not because we ask not. Amen. So we need to get serious about our prayer lives. Hey, pray for your pastor. Pray for your church. Pray for the lost. Pray for your finances. Pray for everything you think of to pray about. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, worry about nothing and pray about everything. Get serious about your prayer life. Let me tell you something else we need to get serious about. We need to get serious about loving one another. Look down at verse number 
8, he says, And above all things have fervent charity or fervent love among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Let me read that to you in the Amplified Version. It says, Above all things have intense and unfailing love for one another. That's what fervency means, intense and unfailing love. That's good. Do you know that we are called to be the people of love? Do you know this is a place of love? You know this is the book of love? We serve a God who is love. And you know that we ought to be loving one another? Matter of fact, Jesus said it like this, John 13, 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, ye love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye... If you want to be like Jesus, love the brethren. Love one another. Now, should we love the lost? Absolutely. What do you think we give to the cooperative program? You know, every, every month, the money that you give in your tithes and offerings, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program. And through the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, missionaries are sent all over the world to proclaim the gospel. So every week, by that money you're giving, money is going towards sending missionaries to preach the gospel. Let me tell you why we do that. Because we love the lost. Let me tell you why we love the lost. We love the lost because Jesus loved the lost. Jesus loved the lost enough to hang on a cross and die for them. I once was a part of the lost crowd. I know what it's like to be there. And so I want to tell everybody I can about the Jesus who saved me. And I might not can go to Africa. I might not can go to China. I've got to go to work tomorrow. But praise God, there's people that's on the mission field everywhere that I can support with my prayer and my money. And make sure they can go and preach the gospel. And so that's what we do through the cooperative program. But then guess what? Then God opens the door for me to get to go. I love that. That fires me up. I cannot wait to get to Macon, Georgia next week and share the gospel with everybody God allows me to share the gospel with. It. Let me tell you why. Because I love the lost. I don't want to see them die and go to hell. And you have the opportunity to be a part of that, either through going, through giving, or praying. You can do all three, and you should do all three. As God gives you opportunity. Amen? That's when we go to Cuba. That's when we have vacation Bible school. That's when we have visitation programs. Listen, that's why we share the gospel with people we work with. Why? Because we love the lost. We love the lost. But let me tell you something else. Like Jesus said, all men's going to know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Go to Galatians chapter 6 with me and I'll share with you a very powerful verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10. Paul says it like this, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Now what does it mean to do good unto all men? What he's saying is we're going to be loving in action. See, how do you know love is a noun, but it should be a verb? 
Love is an action word. You know, it's one thing for me to say I love you. It's another thing for me to show you I love you. My wife told me one time that she knew I loved her because of dishes. We got five people living in our house. We got a lot of dishes. And one night after supper, she didn't even have to tell me or ask me. I just went in there and started washing dishes. And she said, oh, honey, I knew, you, I knew you loved me when I seen you washing them dishes. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to show it. Amen? Now that works in your marriage, absolutely. That's true. But it certainly works among the people of God too, don't it? That's why the scripture says in the book of 1 John, if we see that our brother or sister in Christ has needs and we withhold um, from what we have and don't give to them, how can we say that the love of God dwells in us? You can't. Because if we're really walking in and living in and operating in the love of God, then we're going to meet the need when we see the need. We'll love in word and Deed, the Bible says. And so, as we have therefore opportunity to do good to all men, love in action. And then, he, but he goes a step further. He says, especially to them who are of the household of faith. So that's all men, or every man you come in contact with. Men at your workplace, men at the grocery store, wherever you're at in this world. If you can do good to someone and show the love of Christ, show it. Show it. I'm going to tell you something else. Especially to them who name the name of Jesus. Because that's how all men's going to know that we are the disciples of the Lord Jesus if we show love one to another. And I'm going to tell you something. That does not go unrewarded. It certainly doesn't. Let me, let me give you one more story. What time we got? All right, I'm going to give you the story and I'm going to be done. Uh, years ago, me and Brandon and the kids decided we was going to go down to Gulf Shores for a week for vacation. And so we left on a Wednesday evening after church and headed to Gulf Shores. Um, and we uh, went to Huddle House over here on exit uh, 14, County Road 35. Stopped at Huddle House before we left. We was in there eating and and uh, I got done, and I seen someone um, that I knew down at the other end of the end of the place, and spoke to him just a moment. And when I left, the Lord said, um, um, "Tell him I love him." I just heard that in my spirit. I said, "Man, Jesus loves you." And I walked off from that table. And before I got to the register, the Lord said, "Show him that I love him." And so I stopped at the register. And I told that lady behind the counter, I said, don't you tell them what I'm fixing to do, but I said, I'm fixing to pray for the dinner. And so they sat back there, they done got finished eating, they, she brought uh, their ticket up, I paid for their dinner, paid for my dinner, and we headed off to Gulf Shores. We go down there, have a great week. We're coming home. And I don't know about y'all, maybe it's just me, but usually if I go down no matter how much money I go down with, no matter how much cash I go down with, I usually come home from a vacation trip like that with about enough cash just to get home. Y'all know what I mean? 
I mean, we had a good week. We enjoyed ourselves. So I'm coming home, and we had just really enough for gas money and eating one time to get back home. That's about it. And so as soon as, <laughs> this is the funny thing, as soon as we got across into Alabama, coming back home, we left late one evening. I mean, I think we stayed from uh, Wednesday to Wednesday. And so on that Wednesday evening, we stayed until it was, I mean, later on because nobody wanted to leave the beach. So we stayed on there all, I stayed out there all day and then left from the beach, headed on. And so it was already getting late and we was coming back. And we had uh, just got out of Foley there and stopped again at a huddle house. Go in there and eat. Me and Brandy and the kids sitting around the table and we bowed our head to pray before the meal. Got up to leave to go pay for our dinner and the lady behind the counter said, one of the guys that was in here, they've already paid for your meal. I said, what? She said, yeah, they've already paid for your meal. He said that he hadn't seen somebody bow their head and pray for a meal in a long time and he wanted to pay for your meal. You know what that cost us that night? 38 bucks. That's what the bill was. $38 for all of me and Brandy and the kids to eat. We leave the huddle house. And I'm telling you, we just had enough money to buy gas and get back home. About it. We leave the huddle house, get out on the interstate, and the hanger for our uh, exhaust, the muffler broke. Exhaust hanger broke. And I'm, start, I'm dragging a muffler down I-65 coming north. <laughs> I told Brad, I said, I don't know what we're going to do because we ain't got no money. So we pulled in to a little town there in South Alabama. I don't even remember where it was at. Find the nearest muffler shop or a garage. wasn't really a muffler shop. And talk to them about fixing that muffler. Great guy, nice guy. He comes out there, man, puts the car up on the rack, fixes the muffler. I said, man, how much I owe you? He said, you owe me $37. <laughs> we get back in the car, fill up with gas, and roll right on into Hamilton. I'm going to tell you something. Showing the love of Christ never, ever goes unrewarded. You say, brother, do you think that would have happened if you hadn't have paid for it? I don't know, but I don't want to chance it. <laughs> and you shouldn't chance it. When God leads you to show the love of Christ, do it. Do it. Whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like in your life. Let's get serious about our prayer life. Let's get serious about loving one another and loving others. Love is a noun, but it should be a verb in our lives as believers. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the person of the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5 says. And if we have the love of Jesus, we ought to show the love of Jesus. Anybody got anything, comments or questions?